turn to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the, as the tower of Hananel, and next to him the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joida, the son of... Pesea and Meshulam, the son of Besodea, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah the Gibeonite and Jadon the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them Uziel the son of Hariah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruled of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Hurum, Hur, uh, however you say that one, uh, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashbaneah, repaired. Malchijah, the son of Haram, and Hashub, the son of Pehath Moab repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halashesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanan, the inhabitants of Zenoah, repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He, repaired, he rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kohoze, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of the half-district of Beth, Zur repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Rahum, the son of Bani, next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of the half-district of Kaliah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired. Bavai, the son of Hinadad, ruler of the half-district of Kailah, Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zavai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repairs, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men, of the surrounding area repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Aniah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Hinadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Bilal, the son of Uzziah, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. 
After him, Padiah, the son of Parash, the, the temple servants, living on Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate of the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants of the merchants of opposite the muster gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner, and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Take a deep breath. As much as I practiced those names this week and listened to how they pronounced, I know I butchered over half of them. Chobe, you should have had that for your scriptural reading this morning. Why would we read chapter 3 this morning? I mean, probably most of us, we get to Nehemiah, we get to chapter 3, it's like, let's go on to chapter 4. Yeah, there's a bunch of people who built on there. Anyone know why we read chapter 3? It's God's Word. It's in there for a reason. Not for us just to skip over. You might, well, yeah, but the chapter 4 gets exciting because the enemy's coming back. Well, no, chapter 3 is there because God has it in there for you, the body of Christ, to have understanding. And so we take time to read it um, and uh, battle through trying to get through those names. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you bless the reading and the preaching of the word? But just as what was read in Ephesians, we see the people of God united to do the work that God has given them for the glory of God. And the scriptural truth as we look at this this morning is this. God's people, young and old, leaders and followers are vital and essential for accomplishing God's redemptive purpose to build His church for His glory. And so again, Father... We pray that you would bless this time as we look for understanding that we would be a people that would give glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when you look at these uh, verses, the three points I've laid out for us this morning, you can see through the whole text. Uh, so I'm not saying, that, hey, verses 1 through 5 is just about diversity and unity. You see that throughout. Or that this one section is just about setting examples. You see that throughout. Or just rebuilding the broken is the one part. But uh, I've been praying that we would see and understand from the text these uh, truths that we see. Some of you may remember in 2010, uh, in the country of Chile, there was 33 miners who were trapped 2,300 feet before the ground. You remember that? Uh, weeks went by. Uh, 33 of them were 23 feet underground in a mine. No way to get out. And what we saw during those weeks on the news, you saw engineers being flown in from around the world. You saw uh, medical uh, workers being flown in from around the world. You saw families gathered. You saw pastors gathered. You saw uh, local people that were there. You saw people begin this work and they were from all around the world and people were tuning in constantly on the news watching this live stream of what was happening and then once they were able to actually get some communications to those miners and know that they were alive there was this great effort uh, being put forth in great unity to save those miners and then 
within a few weeks, we saw as those capsules came up one at a time, 15, 20 minutes of them traveling 2,300 feet back to the service. And as each one was taken out of that tube, the people just broke into rejoicing. People are in tears and the family were so thankful to have them back There was great diversity of all the people who had gathered there at that moment to save those miners. And what we see in chapter 3 is great diversity even among the people of God. And God put a purpose uh, for them, a plan, a vision, and they were united to do the work God laid out for them to do. And so as we look at this in verses 1 through 5, we've seen the last two weeks that God gave Nehemiah a vision. He He gave him one plan. He gave him uh, one purpose for the people of God, and that was to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And we see in the text today, we saw, as we read, priests, uh, Levites, leaders. We saw skilled and unskilled. We saw families working side by side, uh, individuals, young and old, men and women, nobles and servants, fathers and sons, even fathers and daughters, and they were next to each other in the wall. It says, and next to them, and next to them, and next to them. I, I think in your bulletin, or you got it in, there's a little half-sheet map of, uh, of, of what they think the, the, the wall was like. Again, there's some question marks because not everything is exact on there. But when you read Nehemiah 3, you go to the top of that map, and you see where they begin, and he goes counterclockwise. But it's he makes an important note of all the people that are serving. It's not just 32 names. He lists groups of people. Remember, with Ezra, there was at least 49,000 people in the city when Nehemiah shows up, maybe a few more. And I'm sure that in that moment, in all that gathering, you have the young and you have the old. You have those who actually physically can do the work and some who can't. You have children and babies who need to be cared for by their mother. But there's this big movement by the body of Christ, of the, the nation of Israel, to do the work God set for them. And we saw last week at the end of chapter 2, he said, here's what God is doing. The good hand of my Lord has been with me. And the people said, let's rise up and build. And they went to work. In their task of not just the uh, possibly 2.5 miles long, uh, there's 12 different gates Uh, uh, at least 11 of them needed to be repaired or completely rebuilt. There's a huge task for the people. And when you read on in Nehemiah, in 52 days, they rebuilt the completely broken down portions and they repaired the areas that were broken. You'll see two words in here, the word built or they rebuilt. Uh, Those would be sections of the wall or the gates that were completely destroyed. And you just rubble on the ground. But then when you see a whole section where it says the word repaired, it actually means to strengthen or to fix or repair parts that were broken. So there were sections of the wall that were still standing but needed to be repaired. And the glory of the city of Jerusalem, uh, when um, the temple was built by Solomon, when the people were there, and again, in all of its glory was the place where God would meet his people. And in Psalm chapter 87, there is a, a song that uh, is sung, and it says in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 87, On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. This was the place 
the display of the glory of God among his people. That God not only gave directions and instructions, but a place where people would come and the glory of God resided there and they worshiped at a distance. And we're so thankful for Jesus going to the cross because we know that when he died on the cross, that curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, opening in a way that today we don't worship God at a building. We don't worship him from far off, but we enter into the Holy of Holies, our heart, because Christ lives in us, the Holy Spirit of God in us, and we worship him in spirit and in truth together, individually and corporately, wherever we are at in this world. And because God set out his plan to build his, to his temple and also to rebuild the walls of the city, he told Nehemiah this was a plan. God always sees his plans through. God is a God who never changes. And therefore what he sets out to do, he will always comp- accomplish according to his way. And we are f- amazed and humbled that God would dare use us, his people, in that plan to accomplish it. Therefore, we are a people that must rely on the Holy Spirit for leading and guiding and strength to walk in holiness and to fulfill the plans that he has for us. But when you read chapter 3, this diverse group of people were united to rebuild this wall. They had the mission to rebuild the wall that the glory of God would return to the city. And as you look at chapter 3, we go today, okay, what are we to learn today? Because Jesus tells uh, the disciples in Luke 24 that everything written in the Old Testament is about him. So what should we see in chapter 3? Just a group of people with a bunch of names that we can't pronounce that just, yeah, they did this great thing. I mean, we could go around this world and in history and find groups of people all over the world that have come together to unite to do something great. And they're in the history books for it. But this is something greater because it's God's purpose. And therefore, today we say, as the church, Jesus Christ is the head. What is our plan? What is our vision? Or what is our mission? And it's not our. We've got to take our out. This world has brought before the churches of the world, the business world, and tries to insert it into the church and says, if you, pastor, have a great vision for your church, you rally the people and they go out and build the church. And really what they're teaching pastors to do is to build their own kingdom. So what we are to do is take the word our. We have no our vision. It's God's vision. He's been very clear and he says, Therefore, go and make what? Disciples of all the what? Nations, baptizing them in the name of who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to a what? Obey all that I have what? Commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That is the mission, that is the vision for all of God's people since Christ has risen from the grave and ascended to heaven. So I'm telling you, we could... Take a business plan and, and, and go, okay, let's put this chart here. Uh, Missoula, here's all the things happening here. You know, we're going to do this, this, and we're going to build this and do this. And we're going to build a huge kingdom for God's glory, and it's going to be our vision and our plan. If we would dare do that, it's, to me, I feel it's almost blasphemous. It's like we're going against God's plans. He's given us his words uh, to live and act by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, how the church is to live and act. And so, yes, living in, in East Los Angeles for 20-something years down there, 
the mission was the same. Go and make disciples. Declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Were there things that we did because there were some things culturally different? Yes. Los Angeles is a huge place. The city of Montebello that we were at there, in this little square section, the same size city here in a tiny little section there. There was people crammed in all over. There was things that we did ministry-wise in the community to share the gospel that we wouldn't do here. But we must guard and ask the Lord to hold us to the word of God. What happens in Los Angeles by the believers happens by the believers here in Missoula is you open your mouth and declare Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, risen again from death to life, and he's coming back. And all who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, repent of their sins, believe in him, will be saved. It's the same globally around the world, even as we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are in prison in other countries that were beaten yesterday or today. Those who are close to death because of standing for Christ, it's the same there as it would be here. And so we stand on the truth of God's word. We have the mission and the vision and the plan, which is to make disciples. And however God lays that out as we live and act here as the body of Christ in Missoula, we seek him. And if we stray from his word, we have to turn back and be focused on it. There is a great temptation for Christians in America for us to go, let's just get this vision. Let's just get this. Pastor, where are we going? And I would tell you and warn you, that's not what we see in Scripture. What we see here is, and if you look at verse 1, you go into this first part of the north wall. Uh, it's wonderful what you begin to see when you read chapter 3. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set it its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. Now, if you're thinking, are we going to read every single verse again? No, we're not. We would be here till next Sunday. Um, but I'm so thankful for this verse. When I read this chapter, I was like, Lord, thank you for chapter 3, verse 1, and, and verse 5, and these ones, because here's the thing. The building began with the spiritual leadership in the people of Israel. The high priests, the other priests, and if you go to the end of the chapter, all the Levites, all the people who worked in the temple, they did not sit in the shadow of the temple that had been rebuilt by the people in Ezra and go, all right, you guys, go do that. Oh, you know what, that, that rock needs to go to the left over there. And hey, you know what, you didn't put enough concrete here. They are leading the way. They also are to declare the truth of God's word, God's word and we'll see uh, in just a few chapters how they stand before the people and they open the word of God and again lead the people in the worship of God but they picked up a hammer and went to work. You do not want to be in a local gathering of the body of Christ and have elders, uh, deacons, deaconesses, leaders, pastors who will just sit back and expect the church to do everything. Now, we have studied 1 Timothy and Titus, and we've studied the book of Ephesians. We've looked at 1 Peter and studied chapter 5. The elders and pastors are charged with preaching and teaching the word of God. They are charged with guiding and guarding the flock from the wolves that are out there to leading people to nourishment. But I cannot find anywhere in the qualifications of elders that you're supposed to be lazy, 
You're supposed to build some platform and go stand on it. That you're supposed to go hide in an office. That you're supposed to just wait until the church goes and does something and you just lead them. I can't find that in Scripture. And the hard part, I also can't find anywhere where elders, pastors um, retire. Heard a pastor this week talking about excited and couldn't wait for a certain point of retirement. And I didn't, it hit me, I was like, wait, do you retire? I, I just never thought about that like that. It's like, do pastors actually really retire? Do elders actually retire? Well, wait, no, here's what God's scripture says. I mean, and, and it's like, for all of us, we live in a culture where we want to build our business and do our work and get our education so that we can retire. And as I heard a pastor one time talk about a couple who couldn't wait to retire and go to Florida so that they, every morning they could pick up seashells. And there's nothing wrong with seashells. I love seashells. I love to go along the beach and find them. But if that is the goal for the believer, there's something wrong. If that is the goal for a pastor or an elder in the church to go, I just can't wait till that one day when I'm done, then we're going, whoa, that's wrong. So these guys got up and worked, and they worked alongside of the people. They rebuilt the door that was there. They worked on the wall that was there, and then they consecrated it. As we'll see, they consecrate the whole thing with all of the congregation to come. Look at verse 2. It says, and next to them. This is key throughout the chapter, and next to them, and next to them, and next to them, showing the unity of all these people rebuilding, that there was gaps in the wall, and the people built and worked to, up to each other. I mean, imagine getting up for 52 mornings, and every morning you go to your section of the wall, and you have a trowel or whatever tool, and you see the people next to you, they're working, and you see the people there next to you. It's like when we gather on Sundays, and when we gather throughout the week in the, in the Bible, studies. I so love to come together with the people of God. Tuesday night I was so excited that there was a youth ministry down here gathering for uh, the teaching of the Word of God and I was upstairs with a group that was going through Pilgrim's Progress in the Bible. It was a joy to walk in and see people. People who love God and that should be this unity that we see in the body of Christ that we don't gather just to have a gathering. The purpose is for the glory of God. We come to worship Him, to hear from His Word and apply it in our lives and go out working on the mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it says, and next to them, and, and so I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll read to you verses 12 through 18. Because when you look at Nehemiah chapter 3, and then you look today as a church in 1 Corinthians 12, we have some uh, instructions for how the church today is to act, just like we saw the, see the people of God in Nehemiah 3. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body, and if you don't know what we're talking about here, Ephesians tells us that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and we are his body. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Church, that's a glorious passage of Scripture. If you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should take that and go, wow, God has a plan for his church in every place in the world uh, uh, for the last 2,000 years. And, and, and here's the thing, is if you are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God not only dwells in you, but when you read what Paul writes to the churches, you have been given a spiritual gift. And therefore, as Paul writes to the church of Corinth, who was not living and acting as the church. There was disorder. There was disunity. People were not using their gifts as they were to. And so he was correcting the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians and saying, hey, you guys look just like the rest of the world. You guys need to bring these things back into focus. And in verse chapter 12, um, again, he brings this focus saying, church, all of you who are in Christ have a gift you are to use it for the glory of God to bring unity to the church and minister to one another. And the wonderful thing about chapter 3 is you ask the question, where is Jesus in Nehemiah chapter 3? His name's not mentioned. God's name isn't even mentioned in chapter 3. Chapter 2 it is. Chapter 4 we see it. But where do you see Jesus? As you see the people of God they're rising up in unity to do the work that God set them to, to do. You see Jesus Christ in the church today calling us to do exactly the same thing, but not build a physical wall, but to go out and make disciples and in a sense build this spiritual wall that God has called us to do in the places where we live And as we look at this unity that we see, we see a problem, verse 5. And next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Now the little village of Tekoa is about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. And here the nobles refuse. What? I'm not touching that wall. I'm not picking that up. I am a noble. I'm get, someone get my servants. They can go do the work. Uh, they, they, they don't want to, to stoop to anything. I don't know if you've ever had to work with a team of people before. And you get the one lazy person. The one person who doesn't want to work. In California, we always had jokes because you'd see people working along the highway. And it's like one is working and three are holding up shovels. I was, I was working at one uh, job uh, not in a church, and I began to work. And as I, the first week, I was, uh, you would get these uh, work items and it said uh, th this one toilet wasn't working well. So it's like, okay, it may be the flush valve. So I grab the parts. I'm supposed to write down my time. I go down to the other side of the hospital and I go in and change out the flush valve, put it all back, go back there, and I'm filling out the report. And the guy walks over my shoulder. One of the guys training me he goes, Wait, what did you put down? I'm like, Well, 21 minutes. He goes, Twat, no, you need to put two hours down. I said, two hours? And I wasn't getting it. I was like, two hours? What do you mean? I just, I went with it and changed it, got it done real quick. And he's like, no, he says, put two hours down. I'm like, anyways, I didn't put two hours down, turn it in. Well, he and another guy a few days later, they would always disappear. It was a huge facility. And I was like, 
wait, those guys were just, where did they go? And I'm hearing on the radio, yeah, I'm on this call, whatever. And I go to that room, they're not there. So then I saw them going around a corner. I'm trying to push my toolbox and all this stuff up to catch up to them. They disappear. And so I hear this voice as I walk by a door. And I'm like, electrical room. So I'm okay. And I go and I hear laughing, all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, those guys are in there. And so I put my key in real quietly. And I turn it. And I swung over. And I go, hey. And they, they, one of them fell out of his chair, knocking his soda over. And they had set up a table in this electrical room. And what they were supposed to be was working on a call. But they were just hanging out having their sodas, having a great time. And they're like, don't you dare tell them about our room. And it's like, wow, uh, enjoy. I'll see you guys later. But again, it's like we live in a world where people don't want to work. And we have to guard from that within the church because God has called all of us to do a work with the gifts he's given us for his glory. And here you have the Tekoites, and you have this verse here. I'm thankful for verse 5. This should stand as a warning to every believer in the church. These guys missed out on the blessing of God to be a part of the work. No, we're nobles. We will not do that work. And I was wondering, I wrote this down. It's like, how will, if, if, if the Lord tarries longer... And, 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 and uh, we're all, we all uh, die before Christ comes back and go to glory. How will the generations that follow us uh, hear how this church um, did the work of God? Will they say, oh, those are those people. They were like the Tekoites. They were just lazy. They just gathered for church because they wanted a comfortable place to sit in. That's all they wanted to do. Or you know what? There were people that heard the gospel there were people who were served and ministered to by that person and that person and that person, those people. And it wasn't anything that they had in themselves. God did a work there. So let verse 5 be a warning to us as the body of Christ that we would never be like the nobles and sit back and do nothing and just say, well, the Lord will do something. I really am not involved in that. I, I'm not gifted in that. Again, think about the people who were not building but were in the city. Think about people who physically could not get up and do the work and saw what was going on. I wonder if they were praying for the people. What about the people, that the, the, the moms that are taking care of babies and kids and, and, and they're watching them run around and there's people building, you know, where the moms, they're praying for them, caring for the kids. You're thinking about all these things that everyone there in the city had a part of this. So let us not be like the nobles of Tekoi. Look at verse 6 through 12. This point of leading by example Again, with 49,000 people there in the city, they begin to uh, see what's going on. In verses 6 through 12, as they are repairing the west wall uh, on your map there of Jerusalem, the word there is repaired a number of times. So not all of that wall was completely torn down. They're, re, uh, they're, they're repairing or strengthening or fortifying other parts of it. It says in verse 6, the old gate, uh, Yeshana, uh, this place to the old part of the city, uh, all the way to the broad wall is repaired in verse 8. But what's interesting, you have goldsmiths and you have perfumers who are there, people who work and, and, and with gold and they create perfume. Um, and instead of them staying in their homes or their place of business, you know, I'm going to fashion something in gold for the temple and we're going to make some perfume because all these people are working and they need some deodorant, whatever it may be. You know, instead of hiding back and doing that, you see them working. 
It'd be like a, a whole bunch of uh, guys at, a, at, a, at, a, at a, a, a site being built here in town, and they're all in their business suits and their ties, and they've got a hard hat on, and they're hammering away like crazy, and they're just covered in dirt. These guys were working and leading for the others in, in, in watching to follow. If you think about the building repair work, though, they had to clean, so they actually had to remove stuff to rebuild things. There was a lot of work that went into this. You see verse 12, it says that this father and his daughters repaired uh, a section 1,500 feet long. This guy was a ruler in the city, and you'll see it four other times, that the city was kind of broken up and they had leaders. Don't you want, if you're in a city like that, to see your leaders working? You want to see them pick up a hammer. You want to see them not get back and just, oh, I've got the gift of administration. You move over there and you go that way. And oh, hey, you go, oh, do this. I, I've got the plan. I mean, you know, you want the leaders to have the plan and you want them to also do the work. And so again, it's a great testimony that this guy, a ruler of the city, and his daughters work with him. And I'm so thankful for verse 12 there because it says, and his daughters. So, even though we are, as a church have decided to stand on the word of God that uh, pastors, elders, shepherds, according to scripture, uh, our qualifications are fulfilled by men. But as we study the book of Philippians, we see that women do not hide in the church. We see that women are not in the back rooms or something or whatever. If you turn to Philippians, I don't know if you forgot, we were there just a few weeks back, we finished it. Remember the two women that were fighting? Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 2, Paul, he's, he's loved the church. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have what? Labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. If you go through his other letters, he highlights women who are partners in the gospel. And so it is a wonderful thing to see chapter 3 that you have these three daughters working. You have men and women working on the wall together. Again, a picture of the body of Christ. And yes, we've spent a lot of time on this. There are roles in the body of Christ that are fulfilled uh, by men and fulfilled by women. And, are, and men and women are created equally in the image of God. And at the same time, we see the unity uh, of God, uh, unity of Christ in the church in how he works in every single believer. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Uh, turn briefly to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Paul told Titus to tell the older men and the older women in the church to set an example for the younger men and the younger women in the church. In Titus chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But as for you, teach what accords with what? Sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, men, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, 
dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. If we all just took those eight verses and just started thinking and examining our life and going, wow, there's other people in the body of Christ watching me. Uh, we would probably commit more of these things to prayer. Lord, I need help with this area. I need help in this area. I want to set an example for this area here. I have to say, last Sunday night, at a very difficult two-and-a-half-hour meeting, or two and someone might say, oh, three hours, whatever it was. I was so thankful for unity in the room because there were children and youth in this room watching who made comments afterwards. And they saw how you responded to one another in love, even when there's disagreement. And I was like, oh, Lord, thank you for the unity of the Spirit that we didn't have people. Because I've been at church stuff in other places where people break out and begin to argue and to fight. I mean, literally, I told you when we were going through Philippians about a church where they had a fist fight in the service that was started by family members that involved others in the church. And so know that people are watching you and know that the children and youth in this church are watching you to see Christ in you, the hope of glory, because they're looking for godly people to follow. The last point in verses 13 through 20, again, you can go back and read these things, but you see the south wall uh, here in uh, verse 13 through 14. There's 500 yards there between uh, the valley gate and the dung gate. And I thought, who wants to work at the dung gate? You might say, why is it called the dung gate? It's there for a reason. All of the rubbish, all of the dung was carried out of that gate to the, the, the valley of Hinnom and there where everything was burned and all the waste that went that way. I know that you think, hey, our, our sewage treatment plant and all the trees over here and the smell gets bad at times. But again, imagine working for 52 days in the heat, in the sweat, and all you smell is the dung in the Hinnom Valley. All you smell is everything that's burning out there. And here you have a guy, what was his name? Malkajai? Um... Yeah, Malkijah, uh, and he's working there. We don't know if he worked by himself, but he's the only one mentioned there. Uh, and it says he was a ruler and leader. If you don't have rulers and leaders who are not willing at the, to work at the dung gate, uh, then maybe they shouldn't be serving that position. And so therefore, leaders in the church must be willing to serve the body of Christ when there's joyful days and when there's really tough days. You want them to be able to lead a church well and serve when things get hard. In verses 15 through 31, this last section, we'll bring this to a close here. The east wall to the fountain gate. Another leader, ruler, Shalom, is working there. That section, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 14, is a section that was so broken down in the wall that Nehemiah couldn't travel through with the animal that he was riding. I mean, it was in complete ruins, and you have here a guy who's committed to work in that area. But if you look at verses 17 and on and verse 26 and 28, you have the Levites, the temple servants, and the priests. And it's all circling back to the top there of your map where they are working together. And you see from the beginning to the end the spiritual leaders, the people of God who are working among the people. And so as you have individuals, as you have families, as you have, as he mentioned, groups of people from this village or people from this area, um, it was so important for God Almighty to write down chapter 3 for you and I. And therefore, my encouragement, even when you get to the book of Numbers, 
when you read through the book um, of Leviticus, when you get to um, these lists of names, and you're like, oh, man, I just, I checked it off my reading. I glanced at it, you know. Read them. God put it there. It's his word. Nehemiah didn't just come up with some journal of the work just because actually God gave him what to write down of what happened so that we have a historical count of God doing a work there so that we can see today how God's working among the body of Christ. Let me read a couple more verses here where I stopped in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. I stopped at verse 18. Let me read verse 19. When it talks about the body of Christ, it says... If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet what? One body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. With our more presentable parts do not require but God has so composed the body. Did you see that? God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that, it, that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Listen, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. All of you who are in Christ are part of the body. And all of you have been called to the same mission, the same plan of declaring the gospel, making disciples who love God and love others. And so you have a part. And you may think, I really don't have a part. I don't know what I would do. And what I would encourage you to do is pray. And when there are people who are departing from the body of Christ... You need to go to them. We're unified and united on Jesus Christ crucified. Risen again. He's returning. And therefore, our brothers and sisters in Christ, even when there is disagreement, we should pray that there would be reconciliation. We pray that there would be forgiveness for things that have been said or actions that are done. We pray that God would build His church because it's not ours. And therefore, I ask you to pray. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 10 to the disciples. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There are so many people walking in darkness in this city and in this valley. We need to pray that God would build up his people that we would go out and declare the good news, that all those walking in darkness would hear and the Holy Spirit would strike their hearts and they believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. Hear these closing words of Peter in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would give us Nehemiah chapter 3, 
that you would give us a whole list of names of your people that did a work together in unity to restore your glory in that city. And Father, we pray that today, the body of Christ in this room, that you would do a spiritual work here among the people of God in this city. Father, it is not far from your hand to save. And therefore, Father, we know that you could do a work and change this city completely, that the city would wave the flag of Jesus Christ, and that this city would see a revival and people coming out of darkness to light. And Father, that's what we pray for. We pray that you would unify us in Christ. We pray that you would send us out with this good work of making disciples. We pray that you would uh, do the work that only you can do and help us to trust you in it. Protect us from wavering and turning away after our own visions and our own plans and let us be set on your word and your truth. So Father, as we sing these praises to you. We lift up your name, and we ask that you would work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.